In today's episode of the Leadersmith Podcast, I'm going to talk about how to make more ethical decisions. This is a really important topic. Uh, I talk about this in class every semester, and uh, it's really, really useful if you apply it. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so any standard uh, management textbook is going to talk about uh, four keys to making ethical decisions. I'm going to cover those, but then I'm going to give you my own formula, which has only three keys, uh, but they're different. And I'll explain why they're different and how it's used. So um, any standard text will come up with these four keys. And you can use the acronym JUMP. I'm going to go a little out of order just to, you know, mnemonically remember what those are, J-U-M-P. The first one is uh, utilitarianism. So utilitarianism, or the utilitarian test, essentially uh, says that uh, the greatest good that you can do is what's best for the greatest number. This is like Mr. Spock from Star Trek when, uh, you know, he's well, that's not logical. What about the greatest good for the greatest number? Yeah. Okay. So this goes back to the philosophy of Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Um, And I illustrate it in class by simply taking a vote. It's like democracy. Okay. So we all want pizza. Okay. Well, what kind of pizza do you want? We want pepperoni. And so if we want pepperoni, how many want pepperoni? How many want anchovies? Well, the majority is going to win the greatest good for the greatest number. Okay. But what if somebody is gluten sensitive or what if somebody has, um, you know, let, let's say they all bought anchovies and what if somebody can't stand anchovies? Well, sorry, it stinks for you, but the greatest good is being served. So what we see with the um, utilitarian test is that it is good in the sense that it helps, you know, the majority get what they want, but it's insensitive to the minority's needs. So it, it works, but it doesn't. Okay. The second one is moral rights test. And this one uh, states that what is uh, what is best for the majority sometimes might violate the minority's rights. And so um, it, it's the minority test right. Its goal is to protect those fundamental human rights. So um, I, I, I extend that pizza analogy. We're buying pizza. And then we say, hey, see that guy over there in the corner? He's rich. Let's mug him and use his money to pay for the pizza. No, no, no. That violates the the moral rights test. And the reason it violates the moral rights test is we have no right to his property. So we shouldn't be mugging him and taking his pizza, no matter how much that serves the will of the majority. So if you couple those two things together, you're on your way to a more ethical decision. Um, So just like the people may overwhelmingly vote for something in real life that might harm a minority, if you have the moral rights test in place, um, think of the moral rights test kind of like the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. So we we vote popularly for things all the time, but the Bill of Rights say, no, no, you can't do this because of, you know, you can't, you know take away their free speech or you can't, uh, you know, invade their homes or whatever. Those are the moral rights categories. And if you couple those together, you get something much closer to an ethical decision. Now, the third one is justice. Justice has come to take on different meanings over the years. And in the last 
few decades, it's actually muted, mutated quite a bit. The, the public school system has done a phenomenal job in, in indoctrinating in a different form of justice than what we actually meant. Justice um, initially, justice uh, according to Aristotle was rendering to everyone their due, right? So if I owe you this obligation, I perform this obligation. Over time, it's become something else. It's become more like social justice, meaning equity. Everybody has to come out equal. And here's what I mean. So in the first iteration of justice, justice as we have understood it for thousands of years, it's more like this. If, if um, runners are in a race, we all line up at the same starting line. And then justice is whoever's fastest wins. Okay, so we get to a place where runners line up and they run and, you know, there's going to be some people who are winners and some people who are losers. And that's that's the nature of a race. Okay, so the second view is that the race is already unfair. And so justice dictates that regardless of even if they start at the same starting line, uh, everybody has to finish at exactly the same place or it's it's just unfair. So that's more like equity. And so um here right now we're we're um, very much into equity and uh, the concept of fairness that everybody is exactly equal um, and you see this in concepts of the the very pervasive woke and white fragility and uh, white supremacy is saying that it's unfair to minorities if they don't have exactly the same outcomes as whatever majority, however you define majority group, uh, white or male or whatever else. It's unfair if they don't have exactly the same outcome. And so they'll use terms like equity instead of equality. So there's a difference between equity. Equity means you have the same outcome. Equality is the idea that you that things are equal. Now, if I run a foot race, with a member of the track team at CSU, I'm probably going to lose. Equality means that if we line up at the same starting point and we run, whoever's faster wins. He's going to, I mean, I ran track for years, but he's probably going to smoke me by the time we get to the end of the track. That's fair. The different, the second definition of fairness is, well, you have to compensate for me being 47, that, you know, it's just not fair that I can't run as fast as him. So I have to have the same outcome. We have to win at the same time. Now, this is an oversimplification, but we have to win at the same time. And so I have to have a handicap in order to get there. Now, the handicap in business and government is going to be government intervention that will come in and fix that. Now, if you call that fair, um, there's a difference between that kind of fair and the earlier kind of fair. So we have to be careful what we're talking about with justice. Um, and so with justice, it's going to be, depending on how you define it, it's going to be defined very differently. So just pay attention to that. Okay. But nonetheless, justice is the third principle. The fourth principle is the practical test. The practical test simply means this. Would other reasonable people think that that's legit? If other reasonable people think it's legit, it may very well be fair. If it's or ethical. If it's um, if other reasonable people don't see that, it's like a jury of your peers. It's probably not ethical. Okay. Now with all these tests, there's no provision or uh, need for a higher authority like God or some moral higher a standard or anything along these lines. That's the way that this is popularly done in most textbooks. I don't approach it that way. Um, so 
uh, it, it's true that while if you pass these four tests, J-U-M-P, justice, utilitarian, moral rights, and practical, that you're probably closer to a moral decision uh, or ethical decision. So I'm going to give you an alternative plan. And, and it's not like you can't use these to test, but I'm going to give you a, an additional uh, three steps. So here uh, I would look at a natural approach. That's the first one, a prescriptive approach and a consequentialist approach. Okay, so the natural approach is this. So for example, um, a natural approach essentially says, is it consistent with natural law? Okay, now that's very similar to when Covey talks about universal principles. And um, theologians, philosophers have for years, uh, they've disputed how much truth can be known, but until the postmodernists, they've always kind of agreed, well, some truth can be known. And they would argue about this is right. No, no, no. Scratch that out. This is right. No, scratch that out. This is right. Uh, Postmodernists came along and said nothing. Nothing's right. Everything's subjective. It's, it doesn't matter. It's all power. No, I don't believe that. I believe that there is truth. I believe truth can be known. I believe if I keep walking toward the wall back here, I'm going to eventually hit it. And it doesn't matter what I believe about it. It can be known. So here's a natural approach. Okay, uh, a natural uh, a, a naturalist approach can be seen when when a child like my, if I have a two-year-old and they steal a cookie, they don't take a cookie and then walk around and kind of, you know, eat right in front of me. What do they do? They take it and they put it behind their back and then they try to back up out of the room with their arm behind them like I'm stupid. Okay. Now that's just because they're not very clever, but they know that that's wrong. So they're engaging in the action, knowing it's wrong and trying to hide it. They wouldn't hide it unless they knew it was wrong. Same thing when an executive does something wrong, they know it's wrong when they try to cover it up. So natural law can be seen in these actions. Okay. Uh, in both instances, they knew what they were doing uh, and they were trying to. So the point of a natural law is if you know it's wrong, if your heart is telling you it's wrong, it's wrong. Just, you know, don't don't engage in that action. Law of God is written on your heart, according to the scripture. Okay, so that brings me to this, the prescriptive approach. I just mentioned the scripture. So a, a scripture or ethical rule book may be important here for a prescriptive approach, like the Torah, the Bible, the Quran, even the quotations from Chairman Mao. Now, not all of these are equal. So depending on which scriptural approach you apply, you will get very, very different results. Now, as a Christian, I'm going to be using the scriptures, the Bible. And so as I'm using that, I, I'm reading the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are telling me, you know, don't do this, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. If I do, if I do keep those commandments, I'm very unlikely to injure someone, to be unethical to someone, to uh, sin against other people. Okay. In fact, Christ sums it up as love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That, I mean, those are the, the, the two most important commandments. And if you keep those, if you love God and you love your neighbor, you are very unlikely to uh, sin against them, to do something unethical. Okay. Now, again, I stress that with the prescriptive approach, it's only as valid as the prescription that you're applying. It may, you may get very, very different, um, uh, results if you apply uh, the Quran or the quotations of Chairman Mao. Okay, and then finally, there's a consequentialist approach. Now, consequentialism simply says what works is right. Okay, now that's not pragmatism, just trying to do whatever um, you think might work. This is saying here you do this and you get that result. Okay, so academic research to whatever degree that it's unbiased is going to help you see that. 
the opposite of that would be a snake oil sales salesman who comes to town and when he comes to town he can rip people off and then he has to flee town or you know they'll, they'll kill him because he apparently ripped them off i don't mean that it, it, it worked it worked in the short term but it should work completely okay if something is genuine it should actually work and work in the long term and so if you line those three things up if you line up the natural approach if you line up the uh prescriptive prescription approach and if you line up the consequentialist approach like kind of like three points in a compass um i don't know if you've done any uh land navigation but if if you if you have a compass it's not just the the arrow in the compass that you're looking at you're actually looking at the to get your azimuth you're looking at the top and the bottom to look up against the range as you're as you're working it out if you line these three points up and you will very you're very likely to um engage in ethical behavior assuming that your prescription is correct and you're much more likely to engage in ethical behavior and if you want to apply all seven approaches more power to you as long as you um, are careful with your definition of justice okay so that's all that i really want to cover here but i i want to say one one more thing there's a great book um by by john maxwell i only want to mention the title of the book because it's awesome the title of the book is there's no such thing as business ethics. And I think he's right. There is no such thing as business ethics. Ethics are ethics. They apply whether you're at business or at something else. So don't just, well, it's, it's just business. It's not personal. No, there is no such thing as business ethics. There's only ethics. So I just want to stop with this, <clears throat> the golden rule. Okay. Because I, if you just simply do this, um, you're very unlikely to run afoul of others in ethical problems. Uh, the golden rule is found in Matthew 7, 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And I, I think that's a really great standard. And if you're thinking that way, that will save you from a lot of difficulties. Mm -hmm.